Welcome to Tech Talk with Optimal RX. My name is Kristen Gilmore. I'm here with Julianne Grant, and we are ready to talk herbal medicine. Kristen and I are both practicing naturopaths with 25 years' experience between us. As big herb nerds, we are excited to explore all things phytotherapy and health with you. Welcome to today's podcast, where we'll be chatting about the new products Optimal RX has recently launched. This is so our practitioners have a deeper understanding of how to clinically utilise these extracts and why we've brought them to the practitioner market. So let's jump in. Kristen, hi. Yes, hello. <laughs> Welcome. Let's chat about giant bladder kelp first. Yes. So why giant bladder kelp rather than bladderwrack, the kelp species that we've learned at school? Yes, so giant bladder kelp is Macrocystis pyrifera, Ooh. and um, just to throw some Latin in there, <laughs> and bladderwrack is Fucus spethaculosus. So I certainly learnt about bladderwrack at school and mm. used it in my practice. However, Optimal RX recently launched a giant bladder kelp instead, and the main reason for that was safety, but also ultimately efficacy. So a few years ago, between 2016 and 2018, we actually had to reject a number of bladderwrack raw material batches that were sourced from Europe due to heavy metal contamination. So although these batches of bladderwrack complied with European pharmacopoeia standards of safety in regards to heavy metals, they didn't meet more stringent standards listed for bladderwrack regarding heavy metals. So I know for myself and mm. you know for most practitioners, mm. when you're prescribing a medicine to a patient, the last thing that you want to do is add to their toxic load or toxic burden with heavy metals. So as OptimalRx always prioritizes safety, we decided to go on the hunt for a cleaner, sustainable, but still efficacious alternative. And that's when we came across giant bladder kelp. So that was identified as a local species of brown seaweed um, that provided constituents that we were looking for, bioactive constituents like iodine predominantly. Um, and it complied with really stringent, stringent standards in regards to heavy metals. So that was fantastic. Mm. And our giant bladder kelp is actually really sustainably harvested, which is fantastic. harvested. Yep. Yeah. It's from pristine, a beautiful pristine environment just north of Dunedin in New Zealand. It's harvested by a small business in New Zealand. And it's actually... The way that it's harvested is from kelp rafts that have naturally detached from the seabed due to the action of waves. So that's really important too because, as many people know, kelp beds around the world have been depleted due to over-harvesting. Yeah, right. So that's fantastic. Great feature. Yeah, and another added benefit was when we tested our giant bladder kelp, uh, the levels of iodine were so potent that we're actually able to use a much smaller and highly cost-effective dosage range. Well, the dose is a fantastic feature of this phytomedicine. That such a small dosage range is really appealing to me as a clinician. And how do you find it clinically? Oh, yeah, me too. I just think it's such a great uh, asset to be able to prescribe such a small amount and get a great result. So the recommended weekly dosage of giant bladder kelp, just to kind of put some parameters around Mm. what a small dosage range it is, um, for our hydroethanolic one in two um, liquid extract, is one mil to nine mil per week. So Mm. that's a weekly dose. So don't get that confused with a daily dose. Um, And if you compare that to something like with bladderwrack or fucus vesiculosis, that weekly dosage range was actually between 20 mil to Mm. 80 mil per week. So that's a significant difference in dose. 
And actually, um, because we test each batch of giant bladder kelp for its iodine content so that we can prescribe a little bit more accurately, um, each mil of giant bladder kelp of our latest batch actually contains 800 micrograms wow. of iodine. Yeah. So it's a very potent phytomedicine. Yeah. And the small dosage range is actually great for a number of reasons, um, not just that it's obviously very cost-effective for us in clinic, but also you've got the ability, I guess, to add more phytomedicines into a liquid herbal mix if you are making up a bespoke mix for a, for a patient mm. so that you can actually address a number of different factors pertaining to their case, mm. which is really handy. Mm. And another thing that I find really beneficial is that because it is a seaweed extract, obviously it's got that salty kind of seaweed taste as bladder acted and prescribing a small smaller dosage means that if you combine it with other herbs, it really does mask that mm. taste quite nicely for those picky sort of <laughs> patients that have a real issue with that. Yeah. So it actually Which improves. is a real thing. Yeah, and mm. it com improves compliance, I found. Mm. So I did find taste a little bit of a hurdle with bladder rack in certain patients where I had to prescribe, you know, sort of higher dose. doses. Yeah, oh, so excellent. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, it is fantastic. And it does allow us more flexible prescribing, Yeah, which is wonderful. So can you tell us a bit more about this species of kelp? Yeah, so it was really fun for me to sort of <laughs> delve into the research about giant bladder kelp. And we've prepared a what we call a tech sheet, which is a bit of a literature review on this herb, which is available on our website. Um, if you're logged in as a practitioner, you can sort of download a lot more information about it. But basically the genus name, so Macrocystis actually means large bladder, which is why it's called giant bladder kelp. So yeah. that's why it's got this funny name. But it is a really large seaweed. So it's got a length of up to approximately about 60 metres and it's one of the largest seaweeds in the world. Wow. It's also one of the fastest growing organisms on the planet. So it has a growth rate of up to 60 centimetres daily. So it's a really interesting, yeah. you know, amazing, huge seaweed. Mm. And its constituent profile I also found very interesting. So it's really rich in dietary fibres, both soluble and insoluble. And it's also quite rich in polysaccharides, including things like alginate, fucoidins, fucans, and laminarin, which individually you can find a lot of research around each of these. It's got amino acids, um, bioactive peptides, phenolic compounds such as fluorotannins, which again appear in the research mm, quite a bit for different mm. health conditions, sterols, and it's very rich in vitamins and minerals clearly, yeah. and also carotenoids, so particularly uh, fucosanthin. In fact, all brown seaweeds are brown because of the presence of fucosanthin. That's what mm. is what colours them mm. that way. So. Now, I know that most practitioners are aware that you would use seaweed for its iodine content. And, you know, as I mentioned before, our giant bladder kelp is very potent in iodine. But it actually also contains a variety of other bioactive mm. minerals. So you've got iron, potassium, sodium, calcium, zinc, phosphate, chloride, manganese, copper, chromium, selenium, and so on. So you can see why this phytomedicine would be a really great dietary aid, functional food, kind of nutritive tonic yeah, as well. Definitely. Mm. And I think that's it, isn't it? We often think of the seaweeds as something we would use for thyroid conditions. Mm -hmm. But when you stop and look at that constituent profile, mm. and even it's just its nutrient profile, yes. you can actually start to expand a little on how you would utilise this in clinic. And like you said, with such a low dose, yes. we could actually fit that into many mixes for several indications. Totally. Which leads me wanting to know more <laughs> about what you think giant bladder kelp and what the research shows, how, we, how do we use that medicinally? What's its main indications? 
Exactly. So its primary indication, generally speaking, for most herbalists would be around thyroid conditions, utilizing it for its iodine content. But like you said, it's actually a really broadly yeah. applicable phytomedicine. Mm. So I will just quickly sort of talk a bit about its its use in thyroid conditions first, just to sort of cover that off. So as we know, iodine can help to increase thyroid hormone production and output from the thyroid gland. So that's why we call giant bladder cow a thyroid stimulant. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's Great. excellent for hypothyroid conditions where the patient is potentially iodine deficient as well. But also, uh, giant bladder kelp actually has very potent antioxidant and anti-inflammatory activity. So these actions mean that it can target those kind of inflammatory and and free radical processes that can contribute not just to thyroid conditions, but a lot of different health conditions. It's also um, the constituents from giant bladder kelp, very interestingly, have been found to have quite potent immunomodulatory activity, which I found very interesting. Mm. And in this particular study that I was looking at, they looked at constituents from giant bladder kelp compared to a number of other seaweeds, and they found that the constituents from giant bladder kelp were the most immunomodulatory, so it was much more potent than its other counterpart seaweeds that were also... Fantastic for autoimmune thyroiditis and those sorts of issues, or hypothyroidism from an um, autoimmune start. Well, certainly you can think about it for immune-driven issues, Mm. autoimmune-driven thyroid issues. However you still have to be mindful of the iodine yeah, content sure. in, the, tip. in yeah. the phytomedicine. And then, you know, the other thing that I sort of think makes it a great, or oh, some of its actions very complementary in thyroid, hypothyroid conditions mm. particularly, is that it's actually used as an anti-obesity and anti-diabetic agent. So for metabolic type conditions mm. and cardiometabolic conditions, it can be really handy because you can help improve weight loss and reduce some of those. It has a number of mechanisms in how it works in diabetes, but it can really improve some of those factors as well. And I mean, I actually also found some of the most interesting research for me was giant bladder kelp's uh, different constituents effect on the gut microbiome. Ah, so I know interesting. very interesting. <laughs> and there's a lot of talk about this in different arenas of health. And giant bladder kelp, really, due to its t- constituent profile, it could be a very effective gut microbiota modulator which means it can aid in the management of intestinal dysbiosis for our patients. So that gives it a really broad use in a a number of different conditions. So when you say as a modulator or gut Mm -hmm. microbiome modulator, does it have any antibacterial or does it work more as a prebiotic? How how do we sort of modulate the gut microbiome? Fantastic. So to clarify that, it actually does both. So there's research showing that it's a great prebiotic for beneficial organisms. Mm -hmm. It can improve the growth of those. Mm However, it has been shown to have what we call selectively acting antimicrobial activity, particularly antibacterial activity. Yeah. Yeah. And that means as well that it would combine really nicely with some of our other selectively acting antimicrobial phytomedicines, Mm. herbal medicines like green tea, pomegranate, cordyceps, to name a few. So that's fantastic. And then if you think as well about its complementary actions the fact that it's anti-inflammatory it's also quite demulcent and soothing Mm. it would be really handy to use in inflammatory gastrointestinal conditions as well so yeah it has a variety of actions in that way oh and something else i'd just like to mention that was quite interesting and came out of one of our presenters karen mcelroy who actually mentions this in her upcoming lecture for optimal rx where she talks about phytomedicines for cognitive decline Mm -hmm. She was also talking about carotenoids and particularly fucoxanthin and the fact that they're able to accumulate in neural tissues and prevent 
neurodegenerative changes and diseases. So that's a really novel use that I had never thought of. And the way that the carotenoids seem to do this is that they can reduce DNA damage. They can uh, maintain the integrity of white matter. And also they can um, reduce the depletion of brain-derived neurotropic factor. And fucoxanthin specifically has been shown to decrease oxidative stress, increase brain-derived neurotropic factor, and actually decrease beta amyloid assembly. So there's some potential uses there for Alzheimer's disease and other dementias as well. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's such a broad range of (laughs) indications, isn't it? So, I I mean, it has a place on my shelf already, but (laughs) I can imagine that no matter what a practitioner specialises in, you could easily have a, a bottle of giant bladder kelp there even if it's due to just purely gut microbiome issues that which basically crosses the board of any indication right Correct. so that's that's exciting that's fantastic but i do want to cover before we finish up on giant bladder kelp if there's any issues with safety or iodine excess in patients that we should be aware of when we're prescribing this phytomedicine i think that's actually a really important point to be aware of so mm. exactly what you said the iodine content is something that we do need to be aware of and it would be the same with any other iodine supplement or iodine containing food that you were prescribing for a patient so you know because of the iodine content and like i said each batch of our giant bladder kelp is tested for its iodine content which means that you're able to you know ascertain this and prescribe quite specifically but it means that you do have to be aware that in conditions like hyperthyroidism and overactive thyroid um, gland you probably wouldn't want to be using it would be contraindicated in those conditions Mm. and i do know Uh, Also, there is some caution around using it in autoimmune Hashimoto's, which is a hypo, an autoimmune hypothyroid condition. And that really is because in these patients, um, iodine excess has been shown to cause some issues and some dysfunction. So really in those patients, you would only be prescribing giant bladder kelp if that patient was iodine deficient and you were confident that you could closely monitor their levels of um, iodine and their and their thyroid mm, hormone levels mm. yes so and even in those cases generally it would be a very low dose and it would be prescribed alongside other herbal medicines that are indicated for that condition i mean i know that hemidesmus mm. which is a fantastic phytomedicine for reducing an overactive yeah. um, immune response and it's anti-inflammatory romania mm. which is a beautiful adrenal tonic and works really nicely for that inflammation and mm. autoimmune as well yeah. they'd be great combinations mm. but also i think you know it is important to remember that giant bladder kelp does as we've discussed have a variety of activity activities and actions that could benefit an autoimmune condition patient but mm. it's the iodine content that you have to be aware of be aware of and you know, you've provided us with the exact amount of, amount of iodine. So really, we're on the safe path, aren't we? Correct. <laughs> if we know our patient database really well. So in essence, it, it is really just about monitoring your patient with the medicines that you've prescribed. And I do know of certain practitioners that have prescribed giant bladder kelp as a simple. So they prescribe yeah. it on its own, say in a 50 mil bottle or a 25 mil bottle, and they're able to monitor the exact amount that they're giving them and prescribe that separately to their other mixes that they're giving. So you've got that flexibility with dosing. That's a great tip as well. Yeah, Yeah, in that regard. Mm. So that's probably giant bladder kelp in a nutshell. If you want more information, please feel free to register as a practitioner on our Optimal Rx website and download the tech sheet. So now I'd like to switch over to you, Julianne, and ask you a few questions about the very exciting launch of Optimal Rx's 
glissy tract range. Yes, we are excited. Very excited. (laughs) So can you tell me a bit about the range, particularly how the extracts are made and the type of glycerin that we've been using? Absolutely. So I think it's important to remember that glycotrax have always held a really important place in herbal medicine dispensing. Mm-hmm. And the reason being is so with having both hydroethanolics and glycotrax on our dispensary shelves, we are basically able to work herbally with anybody that walks through our clinic door. Yeah. And whether they are people that don't wish to consume ethanol or they cannot consume ethanol or they can, we're able to treat across the broad range of population. And that's, that's really important as yeah. herbalists. So in terms of manufacturing processes, Optimal RX or our, our manufacturer in New Zealand, Phytomed, mm-hmm. basically have used two forms of manufacturing. Yep. The first being that we've used quality raw plant material, as we do with our hydroethanolics, mm-hmm. and that is manufactured into a hydroethanolic extract using cold percolation methods. Yeah. That ethanol and water is then evaporated off that extract, that hydroethanolic extract, and the remaining plant extract is then reconstituted into glycerin to create that high-quality glycotract. Interesting. So that's one method of doing it. Yeah. The other method of doing it is using raw plant material in the form of a sourced powdered extract, mm-hmm. so quality sourced powdered extract, and that's compli- combined sorry, with glycerin and water to form the herbal glycotract. Okay, so, so there's two different ways of manufacturing these extracts. That's right, and yeah. that's how we've utilised it, and that's how Phytomed has, has, and alongside working with us, have worked out how we can create the best quality and therefore most efficacious glycerin extract. Yeah, yeah. that's fantastic. Yeah, and so with regards to the glycerin we use, the vegetable glycerin is sourced from non-GMO, sustainable and palm-free sources, and it generally comes from either soybean, rapeseed or coconut. Mm-hmm. And I think um, it's important also to remember that some of the other factors with glycerin that people might think about, such as FODMAP or glycerol or those sorts of glycemic index issues, mm-hmm. understanding that glycerol has only four calories per gram, it has a very low glycemic index. So glycotrax are actually still suitable for diabetics mm. and what have you. But furthermore, like all sugars, glycerol is not metabolised by bacteria in the mouth, which means it doesn't contribute to tooth decay and, and a poor issue with the, the oral microbiome. And oh, sugar alcohols. Sugar alcohols. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's really like, that's a very sort of, I guess, unknown kind of benefit that you don't really think of when you're thinking, you think sweet, you think sugar, and yeah. then you think, what is it doing to me in terms of, you know, caloric index or diabetics and things like that? Yeah, that's right. So we're fairly safe there with the glycerin we use. <laughs> yeah. Well, from what you've said, I understand that glycotrax won't necessarily replace hydroethanolic extracts in clinical practice. So in your opinion, what importance do these type of extracts hold within the practitioner market? As I mentioned before, I think they're really important. Mm. I think they allow us to reach further mm. with our patient databases or patient intake. Mm-hmm. And, you know... A really important point when you're thinking about glycotrax is we're not thinking about replacing our hydroethanolics. Yeah. We're thinking about adding. Mm. You know, how, how can we improve on our dispensary now? How can I treat more people? So it's it's an interesting discussion when you when you are comparing hydroethanolics to glycotrax because often it's not a fair comparison. And we know that glycerin and water will extract different constituents than say ethanol will. Mm-hmm. However, some of the methods that we've used allow us for a greater uh, constituent profile yep. in our end product, glycotract. So we're really proud of that mm. and we're really proud of the quality. One of the ones we've utilised, I know, amongst our staff <laughs> as testing is the Withania glycotract. And 
you know, goodness, it's it's resulted it's in some quality, very efficacious, adaptogenic, <laughs> anxiolytic type of properties. So, just from our own mini clinical trials, we think that our our own glycotracts are doing well, and also the feedback from our practitioners that have already established them within their dispensary shelves have. have passed on some quality feedback about how their patients are handling them and their, their great results from those, those uh, glycotracks. But please, it's not a comparison issue here between hydroethanolics and glycotracks. I know I'm repeating myself. It's about how we can utilise the glycotracks to best serve our clients. Oh, yeah. And I can even certainly think of a time when I was practising in a drug and alcohol rehabilitation clinic where we could not give anything with ethanol as a preservative in there. And I really would have wished for something like this back yeah, then. Yeah, that's right. So if you are a practitioner who, say, doesn't see many of those type of patients who, say, cannot consume ethanol, um, but you want to keep some of the extracts within your dispensary, which are the ones that you would generally recommend? And can you talk a bit about the shelf life and things? Because mm. I assume that glycerin or glycotrax would have a different shelf life to the hydroethanolics. Mm. Yeah. I might just jump in there, though, and talk about the patient group's that we kind of might be thinking about that utilise these extracts first and yeah. then I'm going to jump flow straight into the types that we probably should have on our shelf if Go that, for if it. that makes sense. <laughs> so I think the, the patient groups or client groups are basically, there's three of them. So the first one is your zero alcohol tolerance group. So things like emergency workers, police officers, ambulance officers, firefighters, etc., or your first responders, mm -hmm. they work under a zero uh, alcohol tolerance. And same with mine workers, aircraft pilots, drives of public or heavy vehicles, things like that, people like that, are liver disease patients, alcoholics and drug dependency, even those that have allergies to ethanol or sensitivities to ethanol. I've had patients that are on flagell, for instance, that, mm -hmm. that cannot consume ethanol in that whilst they're on flagell. Even things like people such as learners or learner or probationary drivers. Yeah. So really the zero alcohol tolerance patient base or client base is actually quite large yeah you know so the other the other section is zero alcohol preference so maybe we're looking at at treating infants or children pregnant and lactating women provided that that herb is actually still safe for them being <laughs> lactating or pregnant and preconception care for instance and even those people that really just for religious beliefs or whatever beliefs don't want to consume ethanol mm-hmm and finally, it's taste compliance. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> which really goes across the board, doesn't it? So glycerin is sweet tasting. Mm -hmm. So the compliance with glycerin extracts is, is far greater than it is with hydroethanolics. And there are certain patient groups or client groups that really don't tolerate the, the poor taste. And one of those is, say, autism spectrum disorder. So some of those patients really cannot tolerate it. But what the feedback we're getting from our practitioners that work in this space actually have great results with able to provide them with the glycerin, particularly things like lithania. Mm -hmm. you know. They're the main groups of people I think we're looking at. And if you stop and think about that, I am sure that at least one person or one patient from any of those groups will walk through your clinic door on a weekly basis. Mm -hmm. So having glycotrax on your shelf is a smart way to be able to dispense your herbal medicine to anybody. Yeah. Yeah. And in terms of shelf life, yeah. I believe the shelf life is still around three years. I think we have three years on them. So they're actually quite stable. Very stable. Yeah, a three-year shelf life. And obviously, like hydroethanolics, stored below that, that 30-degree kind of environment. So they're very stable. Yeah. You know, it, it you'll have that on your shelf for a while. It won't go off. Mm. So stored in the right right conditions. Uh, it's, a, it's a good investment. 
Yeah, I believe. You don't have to necessarily be worried about whether or not you'll use it because no. as, you, as you've spoken about, there are so many different potential uses for Glycytrax in different pa- patient populations. There really is. And mm. I think it, it is just a smart way of dispensing. It's, yep. you know, even if you have half a dozen Glycytrax there that reach several conditions, mm-hmm you'll be a much better place to serve those patients. And the ones that, that I won't go without, ones we've already released just so that our, our <laughs> practitioners listening are aware, is Wefania, Echinacea, Horopedo and Thyme. Yep. So out of those, if you stop and think Wefania and Echinacea yes. will be used consistently in any of those patient groups. So I believe that they are great to always have on your shelf. And I think Thyme, we've tasted the Thyme quite a bit in our office it didn't last very long but it's soothing it's soothing to the throat so this time of year having children that come in with sore throats or respiratory issues the glycotrack time is a wonderful one to have on your shelf as well we're also hoping to bring out over the rest of the year manuka nigella shadavari i think we're looking at holy basil and astragalus peony which would be great for our fertility specialists yeah hormone workers <laughs> and pomegranates so you know, and, and watch this space, I think, really, because it's quite exciting. But really, out of all of those, I think that six of those easily could come to mind. Nigella, for instance, crosses the board for so many uh, activities. Shadavari and Peony, not only if you're working in the women's hormone space, but really that, they, they get utilised a lot for general health and, and balancing. And Holy Basil is probably, and Astragalus, are probably two phytomedicines I use a lot in my clinic now admittedly I see a lot of chronic disease patients and immune dysregulation patients so that's why they sit there but I think in terms of adaptogens and herbs that make people feel good (laughs) they really should be on your on your space in your clinic shelves so there's a nice variety there I'm just noticing from hearing you talk of herbal medicines that cover so many different body systems types of patients and you can really get a nice you know, as we bring out more and more herbs, essentials kind of little group of glissy tracks that you could use with across the board with many yeah. patients. And another thing that I've noticed, which I think will be really great, is there's quite a number of, in quotation marks, <laughs> antimicrobial yeah, herbs. correct. So, mm. and with those, you know, with patients that have, say, self-infections and particularly chronic um, infections, sometimes they also can be quite sensitive to ethanol and having a glissy tract option could be something that is very beneficial for them too. Yeah, it could be. And I think, look, I think to, you know, in, in terms of the children, mm. and this is what I think about a lot, I don't, it might just be me and who I see, but in terms of children and, and gut infections and those sorts of things, which is becoming more and more common, you know, definitely in our clinic, I think having those antimicrobials and being able to treat them through these antimicrobials when required yes, is, is a great great thing to have as well yeah so that's basically our optimal rx track range for now which we hope to expand on in the near future we can certainly see why we're excited about it (laughs) (laughs) we are well thank you for listening everybody yeah i hope it's been helpful a bit of an insight and an update about what's going on with us and we look forward to speaking to you again soon